Listener Production. Hi, I'm Rosie Waterland. This is Mum Says My Memoir Is A Lie. You will become an anti-cool girl. Last chapter, Mum. I'm currently sitting in a blanket fort that I built around my TV, drinking vodka and pretending that I don't have a book deadline. I haven't showered in three days, partly because I don't want to leave the blanket fort, but mostly because my cat has done a big shit in the bathroom and I can't be bothered cleaning it up. I'm scared to come out. I'm scared to come out of a freaking blanket fort. I'm feeling overwhelmed and tired and I just figured out how to get Netflix to play on my TV so it's really difficult to muster the motivation to leave this safe, warm, vodka-filled happy place. I'm 28, I'm not wearing pants, there's about seven different food stains on my t-shirt and I'm hiding in a blanket fort in my living room. And you know what? I don't give a shit. Sometimes I just need to sit in a blanket fort for a while with some fucking vodka, and it took me a long time, but I'm finally okay with that. I'm an often glorious, currently pantsless, cheese-loving mess who will never, ever be cool enough to handle life without the occasional fort-related breakdown. That's just me. I spent a lifetime struggling to understand why I wasn't a cool kid, constantly wondering just what I was missing, from my early days trying to hide my poo pants from my sister's friends, to my later days doing drugs and pretending to enjoy sex with boys who were terrible at it. I've always been so fixated on trying to impress everyone around me, trying to be what I thought I was meant to be, but I spent so much time attempting to crack the damn code that would finally get me on the inside that I never stopped to ask myself if that was where I actually wanted to be. It wasn't until I found myself there that I realised it wasn't. Not too long ago, for a very brief and exhausting moment, I found myself on the inside looking out. I was surrounded by glamour and famous people and lots and lots of air kissing, and I ended up sitting on the side of the road by myself, eating a taco in a ball gown. After becoming a fairly popular writer on Mamma Mia, my editors decided to send me on a trip to Los Angeles to cover the G'day USA gala, which is basically just an excuse for all the famous US-based Aussies to get together and get pissed on someone else's dime. I had to go to a bunch of parties, swan about with famous people, and then write about the experience when I got home. I really thought my life had officially come full circle. I was the phoenix rising from the ashes, the flower growing out of the mud, the little girl who hid in her room memorising lines from sitcoms while her mum drunk cried over Elton John music downstairs was going to Hollywood, bitches. I had made it. When I first saw the Hollywood sign from my balcony, I cried. After everything, after every goddamn thing, I was standing in a plush Beverly Hills hotel room looking at the Hollywood sign, and I was there as a paid writer. I got a taxi to take me to the Kodak Theatre where the Oscars are held. I walked up to the doors and pressed my palms against them, thinking of every speech I had ever planned to give on that stage since I was five years old. I'm sure thousands of girls do the same thing every year. I'm surprised there wasn't an official look how far you've come line for everyone who wants to take a photo with their eyes closed while they smile wistfully with their hands pressed against the door of the Kodak theatre. It was a cliche moment, definitely, but it was a good moment. 
Lifelong dream fulfilling out of the way, I had to get down to the business of being an impossibly cool person in my impossibly cool new job. I had made it, you see. I needed to get dressed up and go to parties and take selfies with the beautiful people. If only I had known all those years ago, when I was being laughed at while my mum wiped shit from my thighs, that one day I would be paid to hang out with celebrities and write about it. If only I had known while being tortured by Wayne at the college, that I was going to become a total insider. If only I had known every time I felt weird and awkward and out of place that one day I would reach the absolute top rung of the cool ladder. If only I had known that once I got there, I would really, really hate it. John Travolta kissed me on the cheek. Jackie Weaver laughed at one of my jokes. Carly Minogue sang a private concert next to some hotel pool. I ordered a drink while standing at the bar next to Jeffrey Rush. I posted pictures on Instagram that made it look like I was having the time of my life. But I was miserable. I was so fucking miserable. Those few days of fancy celebrity parties in LA were a few of the most uncomfortable days of my life. I don't know why I assumed that once I finally made it on the inside, that once I was finally a cool kid, that it would all make sense to me. But none of it made sense to me. I may have finally been accepted by the cool kids, but I still felt weird and awkward and out of place. And on my last night in LA, I realized why. It's because I am weird and awkward and out of place. I was never cool because I was never meant to be cool. And standing at one of the most exclusive parties in LA that night, I looked around the room and realized I didn't want to be either. Being cool is exhausting. And after just a few days, I'd had enough. I needed air. I needed to stop pretending I enjoyed small talk and that my heels were comfortable. I needed to eat something that wasn't a wanky canapé. I needed to be somewhere that wasn't playing music so loud I couldn't think. I just needed to get the hell out of that party. So I left. In my ball gown, with my face made up and my hair looking fucking fabulous, I walked out of the coolest situation I had ever found myself in. I walked away from the party I had spent my entire life trying to get into. I wandered the streets of LA until I found a food truck on the side of the road. I ordered a taco and ate it while sitting on the curb, and I have never felt more relieved in my life. That curb was exactly where I was supposed to be. I'm weird and awkward and out of place and sometimes blanket forts and taco curbs are just more my style. Realising that is what finally gave me permission to stop trying so hard. After that night, I realised that as soon as you stop listening to what everyone else wants from you and start listening to what you want from you, your life will get easier. There is nothing more liberating than accepting who you are, shit mishaps, taco curves, blanket forts and all. It may not be cool, it may not be perfect, but it's you and every experience you've had in your life has played a part in creating that. There were times my life was rough, but all of it led to me walking out of that fancy party to get a taco because I finally realised that after everything I'd been through, the only person I needed to impress was me. And sitting on that curb eating that delicious pocket of cheese and meat, I was pretty damn impressed with myself. I finally cracked the code I was meant to crack all along. Being cool is about compromising who you are. Being anti-cool is about accepting it. Accepting it, owning it, laughing at it and loving it. I was never meant to be cool. I was meant to be anti-cool. That fancy LA party just wasn't me. You know what is me? This. One, I refuse to wax my pubes. 
there is honestly no grand feminist reasoning behind this choice. It's just that ripping hair out of your vagina really fucking hurts. I did it once for a boy and was so traumatized by the experience that I never did it again. Also, pubes just don't really bother me. And if they bothered a man I was with, I would ask him to kindly step away from my special place. Two, I still have stuffed toys on my shelves. Three, I've accepted that I'm not great at being sexy. Flannelette pyjamas and fanny farts are both words that I'd use to describe a typical sexual experience with me. Four, I'll never be afraid of being alone again. There are worse things than being alone, like being with a man who treats you badly. Being single can be scary, but it also means you get to drink wine in your underpants and take your laptop to the toilet. Five, I've only vacuumed twice this year. Six, I won't do any sex stuff that makes me uncomfortable, emotionally or physically. Bum stuff is out. A guy tried once and I reflexively kicked him in the balls, so venture there at your own risk. Also, seven, I won't pretend that I've orgasmed when I haven't. I have faked many an orgasm in my time. Then I realised sex wasn't just about him feeling like a sex god. In fact, and this may sound crazy, but sex is actually kind of pointless unless you also enjoy it. As soon as I realised that, I wouldn't say I'd climaxed unless I had. You are entitled to orgasm. They may have to work a little harder, but I couldn't give a fuck, to be honest. Eight. I've made peace with my mental health. My anxiety will always be with me, and that's fine. It sometimes means I have to slow my life down. It sometimes means I'll hide in the bathroom at work and have a panic attack. It sometimes means I'll sit in a blanket fort watching TV until I feel safe enough to come out. I have to take medication every day, and I'll probably always be in therapy, but accepting it has made me a better person. Nine, I lied. I've only vacuumed once this year. Ten, I don't let my appearance have anything to do with anyone but me. Every choice I make about the way I look is to make me happy, not so a man will feel good about having me on his arm. Eleven, I can't cook and I have no interest in learning how. Anyone who ventures into my home must be willing to accept a thoughtfully ordered takeout meal or some variation of a toasted sandwich. Also, I never put food in my oven. It's for heating up towels. Twelve, I have the alcohol taste of a 15-year-old girl. I need all my alcoholic beverages to be sweet and bubbly. I don't like beer, never have, never will. Some other girl can chug down with the boys. I'm perfectly happy with my sparkling wine. Thank you very much. And it's usually the cheapest one because I can't tell the difference. I may not understand the woody undertones of an expensive red, but everything I drink tastes like a glorious fruit cocktail. So suck it. 13. I will never let anyone convince me that I'm not fuckable. If you like to fuck, you are fuckable. It's that simple. 14. I've accepted that going out is for chumps. TV is my one true love. There was a brief period there where I tried to be down with the kids. I went to clubs. I took drugs. I hung out in places with music so loud my ears would ring for days. Then I realized that that was the worst. I like soft lighting, yummy wine, and a good TV show. And if you're lucky, I may even put on pants. 15. I refuse to waste my time loving someone who doesn't love me back. 16. I have forgiven my parents. They did the best they could while both dealing with tragic struggles of their own. And they gave me the gift of a brilliant brain, which I'll always be thankful for. 17. I'm scared that if I learn to drive, I'll crash while singing a Disney song. 18. Yes, I'm 28, and I just admitted that I don't know how to drive. 31, and I still don't know. Ha <laughs> ha never will. 19. I feel like a fraud 95% of the time. I literally have no idea what I'm doing and I cannot believe people pay me to write the words I have written when I still sometimes sleep with a teddy bear. 
20, I need to be able to fart in front of my boyfriend's non-negotiable. 21, although I'm terrified almost all of the time, I really think I'm doing okay. After every damn thing, I actually think I'm kind of doing okay. So there you have it. That's all my stuff, embarrassing or otherwise, on the table. I accept it and I own it and I'm proud of it. I'll only ever change that list if I'm the one who isn't happy with it. I'm not trying to be cool anymore. My list changes for nobody but me. This isn't some grand life philosophy. There are no rules. I don't give a fuck what direction people lean in or what plan they follow or if they secretly love eating cheese in the bath. Just try to love yourself enough that you never feel like you have to pretend to be something that you're not. Sit on the curb eating a taco or stay at the fancy party until 4am if that's what you want. Just make sure it's what you want. It doesn't mean life will always be perfect, but it does mean that it will always be real. And that's it. After everything I went through, everything I survived, the most important lesson I learned only came after having an epiphany while eating a taco in a ball gown. Do with that lesson what you will. Now, please excuse me while I climb out of this blanket fort, put on some pants and try to keep my life halfway together. Oh, mom, we're finished. That's it. That's the last chapter. Oh, you're <laughs> smiling. Did you like that chapter? Yeah. You're still in your blanket for all the time. <laughs> Cuz I was 28 when I finished writing that book. I think I was maybe 29 by the time it came out and I'm 31 now. Mm. Still in my blanket for all the time watching TV. Binge watching TV. Well, yeah. Oh my god. It's my if happy I keep place. If I hear that show, ER. Oh, yeah, I'm on ER oh, at the moment. God. Oh, that's my all, God. That's all you listen to. That's I'm all so, I hear in the background. I'm so, well, because. 24 hours a day. When I'm. God. When, I feel like this is interesting to no one, but when I'm working, I know you think I'm just in my room watching TV, but I am working. I play certain TV shows in the background that aren't super distracting. So you know when I'm watching something I'm serious about. Like when it's GOT night, I sit there and I watch it and I'm not working or looking at my computer or anything else. But ER and like also Seinfeld, Frasier, I have all these shows, House, I have all these shows that I play in the background while I'm working. It's kind of like white noise, I guess. And so I play ER like 12 hours a day. I'm not sitting there watching <laughs> ER for 12 hours. I'm working and it's like in the background. Mm. I swear to God. Mm, no, I believe you. I have published another book since this book, so I do get some work done. <laughs> I do get some work done. So how do you feel, Mum, now that we're finished? Oh, it's a relief, actually. Is it? Yeah. Has it been Just harder than it. you thought? Well, no, I don't think so. Really? Uh, I was a bit intimidated by it, actually, to start with. Yeah, you were nervous at first. But, yeah, now that it's almost finished. Why were you nervous at the start? I'm just not a person to, you know, what talk about things publicly. Right. But not even publicly. We hadn't really even talked about this stuff ever, just no, between there were, us. There was quite a few that, things that we hadn't even spoken about. And it's weird because we've been living together. 
But we don't talk about it when we're we, not here. But, yeah, when we're not here, we don't talk about it because it's a, a bit exhausting. Oh, there was yeah. a period in the middle there when we were doing a few of those kind of difficult chapters from my childhood where I think both of us were really emotionally exhausted by it. Mm. And I had to email God, Jamie, our producer, and say, we need I a break this week. frazzled. I just, yeah. Yeah. Very, very difficult, those ones. They were really hard. Definitely. You know what was interesting to me is that I, and I even said it in that last, what did I say in that list? I've forgiven my parents and I understand. They did the best they could while both dealing with tragic struggles of their own, blah, blah, blah. Which is true. And I always thought, oh, my God, Rosie, like, you are on just this brilliant emotional plane. Like, you have so much empathy. Like, the way you've just forgiven your parents, like... And it's just really generous of you. And I just thought I was so fucking good, like, that I had the ability to do that. And and people said to me when we would, when I told them about this podcast, like, oh, what is it? Is it just going to be you, like, targeting your mum with all this stuff? And I was like, no, like... I understand my mum went through really difficult stuff and I just want this to be her chance to tell her side of the story, which is true. I truly believed that in my mind. Mm. But there have been times over the course of this podcast where I've found myself getting angry with you and I wasn't expecting that. I thought I was way more emotionally evolved (laughs) and clearly I'm not. Like Mm. there were a few chapters where I wanted, I never wanted this podcast to be about... um, highlighting all the difficult things that happened and blaming you for them and making you explain yourself. Like I honestly just wanted to, if you disagreed with so much of what I wrote, we clearly have, you know, two very different perspectives of what was essentially a shared experience. And so I wanted to hear your perspective and I did not think it would be about me getting mad at you, but there were a few times where I got really mad. Mm, I know. Like talking about some of the stuff which... You like, you don't think you're still mad about stuff, but like, clearly I was. Am I don't know. I'm sorry if I like made it hard for you in some of the episodes. It's okay. Did you feel like some of them were hard? Yeah, I did. It's a journey that you had to go on, I suppose. Have you learned anything about me? Yes, that you harbour. Quite a few grudges. Can you blame me for that? No, I can't blame you at all. I didn't think that I did. Yeah. And even sitting here talking to you now, I'm like, no, I don't. But then I surprised myself when I, I don't know, because we haven't listened to any of the episodes back. I'm going to listen back like when mm. I hear it. I'll, yeah. I don't think I'll even listen to them. Really? No, I don't. Why? Think, I don't really want to. You feel like this is done for yeah. you now? I don't think I'll... No, I won't listen to it. Have you learned anything about yourself doing this? There's all sorts of things you learn about yourself like when what? you when you revisit the past. Like what? Just some of the things that you did, you know, is utterly deplorable. Oh, you mean you think that of yourself? Some of the things I did, yeah. Not me as a person, but some of the things I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But had you not, did you not already think that? Or had you just kind of, well, I guess because well, we course, never I talk had, about no, it, I you mean, didn't really have to face, you didn't really have had, to think about uh, it. Of course, I've, I had 
regrets. Of course I did. Do you think maybe that's why he drank so much? Part of it? I don't know. He's sort of like um, what came first, the chicken or the egg. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's really yeah. hard to work out. Um, hard to work that out. I can't imagine how hard this has been for you, Mum, because we've never talked about this stuff, really, and not for my lack of trying. Like, I've tried over the years to bring up some of these stories with you. Yeah, but it and was always... And you have just either shot me down and not wanted to talk about it at all or, like, because usually you were drunk, you'd get very emotional and upset and cry and not want to... And I and after when I was younger, I didn't really get that, but when I got older, I was like, it's too emotionally painful for her to talk about this stuff, so I'm just not going to bring it up anymore. And then we sat here and had to go through each chapter of this book where I wrote really vividly about some of this stuff and, like... You had to talk about it. Both of us had to talk about it. And we're not really talkers. No, not really. In our we? family. Not about, well... Not about emotional things. Yeah, we fart a lot in each other's faces, but we don't talk <laughs> about <laughs> emotional <laughs> things. Not really, do we? We avoid it, actually, don't we? We do. We like to talk about other people's emo- <laughs> emotions, not our own. Oh, who doesn't? That's fun. <laughs> um... But, so I can't imagine how hard it would have been for you to have to talk about something that you have been avoiding talking about for a very long time. Mm. Why did you say yes to doing it? I don't know. I, th- I just think it was a good opportunity to for me to put my side forward. Yeah. That was, it was as simple as that, really. That's what, And that's what I wanted. Plus, you know, I thought it was good for you. Like, you'd written this fabulous book. And it was an opportunity to talk about the chapters in the book. What do you think of the book, really? I like. I really liked the book. Mm. But I think it, it it is. It's from my point of view. The fact that there's a few chapters in it that relate directly to me. Yeah. You know what I mean. Oh, and you, both of us. And it's just. Yeah, so it's a much more personal um, opinion. Do you feel like you have had the chance to give your point of view? Like you feel like you've had the chance to say everything you've wanted to say over all these weeks? I think so. I've pretty well covered it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Do you feel better for it? Do I feel better for it? Do you feel better for it? Aren't you curious? tell, Tell you the truth, it has been quite hard and difficult yeah. and I don't really want to revisit that really mm-hmm. yeah so I won't I won't listen to it yeah you did really like that chapter where um I like pulled myself out of my room and started a blog and started writing and stuff you seem to really like that one mm, yeah I mean just l- hearing you describe it the yeah. way that you did I was, you know, I was just so proud. Oh. It was such a, that was such a beautiful part in the book mm. when there was a turnaround in your life, mm. going from your room to starting to write for Mamma Mia and just how it made an incredible difference 
to you, you know. Mm. It's just beautiful. Are you resentful that I created a bestseller out of stories that made you look pretty bad? Absolutely not. Really? You're not? No. I think it's, I think it's fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> what on earth would I be resentful? Well, I don't know that I... I've made, I've made mistakes. Yeah. I, need, I know that. Yeah, but I just... And they're, they're amplified in some of those chapters. I know, I, I know that as well. I disagree. I disagree. I disagree. But sure, <laughs> okay, that's well, what this whole podcast is about. Yes, all right. But I think it's fantastic. I did work. Human beings make mistakes. I did work incredibly hard to not make the book exploitative in any way. Like, it was really important to me when I was writing it that you and Dad weren't the villains of the book. Do you know what I mean? Like, I didn't. And so I, and a lot of people have said to me they think you're, like, one of the heroes of the book. So I tried really hard to, you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it's difficult. It's like your dad. I mean, I've, I've. I asked a friend once a long, long time ago what happened to me, what, what, went wrong with me mm-hmm. and she turned around and she said to me Tony that's what went wrong with you really yep who was what friend was that no I can't no I can't really say now okay. um but um do you think that's true in some respects dad's family weren't thrilled with how he was written about in this book yeah, but it's it's the truth. I will say, Mum, that I felt comfortable, not comfortable, but more inclined to write it because Dad had passed away. You, at the time I wrote this book, were drinking all the time. I didn't think you would ever read it or be able to read it. And I honestly thought maybe you would die, like, pretty soon anyway. And then Grandpa, Dad's dad, passed away. And I was very worried about him because he was incredibly lucid yeah, up yeah. until the day he died and he read books all the time. So I knew if I wrote a book, he would read it. And so when Grandpa passed away and, you know, Dad died when I was a kid and I didn't think you would ever read it, that kind of made me feel I'm not sure if I would have written it. I was still was alive. Different. Surely you thought I would read no, it. No, I didn't think you would. Mum, you could barely have a conversation the amount you were drinking. No, like, I, I did was. not think you could read it. And if I, if you could, I didn't think you would. And that did, I, I don't know, I feel shitty for admitting this, but I think that, that uh, I felt a lot more freedom to write things the way I wanted to write them. Like I, it was like I had to – I didn't monitor myself or censor myself based on whether or not it would hurt you. Do you know what I mean? And if I was writing this book now when you're sober and doing so well – and you've turned your entire life around, I think I would have written a very different book. Oh, no, really? Yeah, I think so. Well, I think I've been very gracious then, haven't I, Rosanna? <laughs> what do you mean? 
What do you mean? We'll leave it at that. No, explain. <laughs> no. You have been very gracious. Yeah. But why do you say it like that? Why did you say because, it like Because I think there is quite a bit of blame. Well, yeah. I mean, you say, yeah, and, and well, rightly so. Blame. And I can understand that you were fearful that I'd read it, <laughs> which I did. Blame, but Three times just to get it into my head. Yeah. And I cried three times, several times actually. There is blame, Mum. I think it would be completely unrealistic for me to say that there is no uh, resentment or blame. There's certainly a lot less than what there was, you know, 10 years ago because I've been in therapy and I've had my own mental health stuff, so I I have a lot more empathy. But I will say there is blame in this book, but with a very genuine, thoughtful attempt to try and figure out what was behind everything that happened. Like, we can't change, like, you you can't change the things that happened in my childhood and how you were as a parent, but that doesn't mean that, you know, you did it on purpose. Like, you were mentally unwell. Yeah, but I, but I think also I had a lot of good points and, yes, I had a lot of bad points mm. from my drinking when I was sober, which was a good proportion of the time, I think. I Twenty percent, ten percent. I was drunk. No, it was way more than that. that. Sorry, sorry, it was no, way more in, than that. In the big, great, big scheme of things, it was much more. wasn't as mu- wasn't as much as what I insinuate. Yeah, no, I disagree so. on that. Okay, big time. Um, do you think I put enough good points in about you? Yeah, I tried yeah. to. What other, is there any other, okay, so the drinking, the amount you drank has been a major thing that has bothered you. Are there any other major, like, lies or misinterpretations that have really stood out to you over the course of recording all these episodes? No, I don't think so. Really? I've brought them up, the ones that did come to mind, so, yeah. Does it frustrate you that we just have to agree to disagree? No, not at all. Some of them, that it frustrates me. There's nothing else you can do except, <laughs> except to agree to disagree. I mean, disagree. I understand that we <laughs> yeah. would have different perspectives, but there have been some points where we just have flat out completely different opinions slash memories on something that happened and one of us has to be right. Like, well, one, like you know, like it... We can't both have good, like, and so I, times like that has really uh, frustrated me because it means either I'm nuts and my memories are wrong or you're not admitting to something. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, like I... One of us has to be right in those cases where we clash against each other and we will both always vehemently think that we are the one who is right. Because mm. I have to say, over the course of this, none of the conversations or arguments we have had has convinced me that um, I got something wrong. Does that surprise you? Yes, it does. 
What do you think that that look? You've written it as the truth, as you know, as you know it. Yeah, the truth is Rosie knows it. Yeah, yeah. Simple as that. Yeah, I get that. Mm. Doesn't necessarily means mean it is the truth, mm. or it is factual. Well, it's a memoir. It's my memories. Yeah, exactly. Memories are notoriously, you know. Weird and incorrect and inaccurate. Well, there you go. There you go. You just said it yourself. Yeah, but that doesn't. But I'm saying when I bring up my memory and you bring up your memory, and they're completely different interpretations of a single event. I don't know. I it's hard for me to um, accept that what is in my head is not what happened. What I remember is not what happened. You know? Yeah. Maybe he lies somewhere in the middle. Definitely. Do you reckon? Yes, definitely. Absolutely. I guess. Right in the middle. It's weird though, isn't it? <laughs> not, re- not really. Maybe you should write your own book. Oh, you got to be joking. Why not? <laughs> you know, I wouldn't be surprised if in a year you're bloody on radio. To no way! Like you're gonna be joking. Why? You're so funny. I'm not funny. Well, where do I get it from then? <laughs> you are, Mum. No, I'm not. You're, um, you've been. Once we loosened up, I think at the start we were both a bit nervous, but once we loosened up, man, you've been really entertaining. <laughs> you've got entertainers' genes in you. Maybe that's where I get it from. <laughs> Maybe that's why I went to acting school, got that from you. I don't know. I think a lot of people are going to think that what you've done is very, I don't want to use the word brave because that just feels so Disney-esque. But it is very brave and very, um, I think what you've done is very generous and has taken a lot of, courage and emotional output from you that you didn't have to give. Like, I feel lucky that you said yes to doing this. Well, when you mentioned it, I sort of thought, oh, hmm, interesting idea. But it's a bit different when you actually do it. It has turned out very differently to what I thought it would be. Just the idea of it, isn't it? Mm. Now we've come to the end. Do you have any final thoughts? Just that it was uh, a fabulous opportunity to do something with my daughter. Oh, mum. That, that we could never have done unless you'd written this book. That's and so it, nice. It's just been fantastic being able to sit here and go through each chapter, some much more difficult and emotional than um, others. Mm. And... Um, and some that you hated, like uh, yeah, when yeah. I had penises flying in my face. Oh God, yes, yeah. And talking about shitting, you shitting yourself. <laughs> Sorry, I don't like that kind of thing. But overall, I'm a bit of a prude, really, aren't I? Overall, a lovely experience. <laughs> yeah, that's good, Mum. I'm glad. I think it's really good. I wanted it to be it- a positive experience overall, especially overall, for you. Yeah, yeah. Especially for you. No, well, I hope it was for you as well, Rosie. Oh, yeah. Just getting been. together with your mama. Well, because when we're at home, I am in my room a lot watching TV, so it is nice. <laughs> it 
forces Mama. us to talk to each other Mama, for an hour. I need you, Mama. <laughs> Get me the remote. <laughs> oh <my God>. <sighs> <sighs> Mum, do you think doing this has changed our relationship? Mm, no, I don't think so. Oh, really? I think I think living together in the same house that has definitely changed our relationship. <laughs> no, because yeah, we weren't really particularly close before. Well, yeah, no, we, we hardly weren't. ever saw each other. Yeah, we didn't have these kind of conversations. Yeah, and and in doing this every week, it's like we're coming together just to have a conversation. We d- mm. we didn't have that at all. It was to- our relationship was totally different. But now we've spoken about these things, and we're both aware of the other's opinion yeah. on these particular things. I mean, it's been a very so it, it it has changed. It has changed our relationship. I think it's been a very big year when it comes to the dynamics of our relationship because you got sober for the first time in forever. After a long period of time where the drinking had got so bad that I was expecting you to die. So I was actually quite detached from you because I was, I had let you go because it was too upsetting. Do you know what I mean? So you got sober. Yeah, yeah. Then you moved in with me. Then we did this incredibly emotionally exhausting podcast. So it was like these three massive things have happened and it's just completely shifted how we are together. Well, to tell you the truth, I was absolutely amazed when I asked you, I don't want to be here where I am. Can I come and stay with you? And I said, yes. And you said, of course. You didn't, like, it's like you never even had to think about it. No. You just said, of course. Yeah. Of course you can, Mum. It was like, oh, my God. <laughs> so I have to actually go now. <laughs> yeah, of course, Mum. You were, like, finally helping well, wait, yourself and getting healthy and yeah. I would do anything I can to support that and that's why I've well, I really let you appreciate keep that. staying. I mean, you've driven me fucking crazy a few times, yeah, I each other. Bit- We've driven each other pretty crazy a few times. No, yeah, but I mean, overall no, we but, live quite well together. But, you know, it's your home. You've asked me into your home, mm. single young woman, and you've said, "Yeah, mum, you can come and live with me for a while." You know, this is where I should point out so that pretty... mum is convinced whenever she leaves the house for more than twenty four hours that I immediately have massive Tinder orgies. Like she, she just does whenever, she does. whenever you. Say you're going somewhere, you're like, oh, are you going to get on the Tinder, Rosie, that's, while I'm gone? It's like, I'm not waiting for you to leave. That's when, I, like, but that's when I find the empty bottles of scotch and bottles what? of wine hidden Mom, behind, the, there behind was, the sofa and under the sofa. And, there was, like, one empty bottle of vodka that was on the couch, I think, because I left it there. And the bottle of wine right. was from the when someone <gasps> gave it to me for my Bloody Daddy, the wine, she threw out my wine and I was looking for it the other day to cook with and she's throwing it out. Oh, no, that's just because I didn't, I wasn't going to drink it and I didn't think you were going to drink it. But I I wish I was that freaking cool and sexy and glamorous. Like when you actually leave, I usually just like of have course, a few no. bevies in my underpants. Well, that, that's just, that's just <laughs> probably no. why I left that bottle that's of vodka just, on the couch. That's how. It would have been just me and I would have fallen asleep in my own filth, like oh, chicken nuggets. God. 
falling down my chest. <laughs> and then I probably just woke up and forgot. <laughs> so, no, that's just an ongoing joke. Of course I don't think you're going to get Tinder. <laughs> no, no, I'm I mean, just saying not, I, I don't. No, I totally understand that you need your own space. Well, yeah. And not even just regular. I am, I need my own space probably more than a regular person because I'm very introverted and funny about my own getting alone time in my own space. And that's why I'm in my room a lot because I just sometimes I don't have the mental energy to talk to a person and you want to go on for 20 minutes about the meatball cookbook you ordered from London and I just need to just watch. I don't go on for 20 minutes. Old episodes of ER. <laughs> Stop for 20 minutes. But anyway, it has been very... Um, Five minutes. Might come tomorrow, That I know. Book. Yes. I'm, <laughs> I'm very aware of the countdown to the meatball book. <laughs> I am excited for the meatballs. I don't though. know why I've suddenly got obsessed with meatballs. Well, I'm glad that you have. <laughs> but it has been um, oh, not God. just even our relationship shifting, but just developing a whole new relationship that I don't think we've ever really had. Do you know what I mean? No, we didn't. Mm. We didn't. Like I said, we'd see each other once a month, if that. Well, I was very strict about when I came over because when you were really drunk, like I used to just get upset and, you know. um, I haven't been really drunk for quite a very few years. Well, always felt like you were really because drunk I couldn't to me. get in it because I I couldn't get drunk because you were so sick because my liver was shot. And I think doing this podcast, it's um, it's helped with that with our relationship. I think so, anyway. Well, certainly giving given us an opportunity to talk about these things because I really don't think we would have. We wouldn't have. We wouldn't no, have. I don't. Been, I don't believe we would have talked about it. It's been really fucking hard. Unless we done this, as if you just do it at home out of choice. <laughs> we, we do it because we have to come in and do it because we we decided to do it and then we signed a contract so we had to do it. It was probably the only way to make sure we would ever finish. <laughs> Nobody just sits around at home talking about this. Yeah, really I think in, I think in the early days stuff. I was thinking, oh God. Oh, do I have to do this? I don't really want to. I don't want to go in and talk about uh, about all this stuff today. Well, the first half of the book I is just don't want it. Hard. Yeah. Wish I hadn't have agreed to all this, but you know, in the end, it was all good. And it's like a nice kind of audio snapshot for us. Oh my god! Don't you think it's not a nice audio snapshot for me? Oh no! I think on the whole, I'm, I'm really gonna... glad that we have this now forever. It's like home movies or photos <gasps> or don't say forever. What oh do my you mean? god! Well, it's forever, Mum. Because you... it's out there. Because you can articulate really well and I can't. You can, Mum. I'm a klutz when it comes to that kind of thing. No, you've articulated yourself really well. No, I haven't. Not the way you have in such a polished, professional manner. But that's probably why people will like you better. (laughs) I sound like a dickhead and you sound real and nice and normal. Mm. Okay, wrap it up. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes, (laughs) ma'am. 
Lisa's done. Wrap it up, Jamie. Wrap it up. <laughs> this is Mum Says My Memoir is a Lie. Recording assistance by Felix Bray. Audio production by Nick Slater. Executive producer is Jamie Show. Listener.